gathering back there, you could turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. Now, next week we're going to officially start our fall sermon series. The series is going to be called Kingdom Sexuality. And so what we're going to be considering is the notion of what, what's a biblical understanding of sexuality as God designed it, as he created it, as he created it for his glory. And how do we interact with a culture that in so many ways is out of step with God's designs for that? So that's going to start next week. I think it's going to be a rich series. I think it's an important series. If our culture has twin idols, it's probably the way we treat money and the way we think about sexuality. And so we're going to address one of those idols head on in the coming weeks. Before we get there, though, we're going to take this morning and we're going to look at the topic of deacons. So you can turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Before we start, though, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, under the inspiration of your spirit, Peter said, we had something better than seeing Jesus when we looked at the Scriptures. That the Scriptures were a better revelation. That is an astounding thing to consider. And yet Peter said it under the inspiration of the Spirit of Christ. Jesus said it was better that He go away so that we would receive the Spirit. And so we ask now, Lord, that that Spirit would illumine our eyes, open our hearts. Give us revelation from your word. Your word is truth. It shows us you, it shows us your son, and it shows us ourselves. Open it to us now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, one of my all-time favorite shows, my all-time favorite serial dramas, is The West Wing. West Wing is this sort of romanticized vision of the White House and the administration of Jed Bartlett. It's sort of a, a Camelot-like take on, on what the White House looks like. And I, I love the show. I love just the way it delves into the personal side of what's happening in the politics. And, and you get an insider's view on what happens in the White House. We're all aware of the White House. Few of us have ever been inside. Almost none of us have been inside when stuff's actually happening. But when we think about the White House, we tend to think about what? We think about the president. That's who's in the White House. We think about his, his cabinet, all the officers, his chief of staff, these people that are, that are leading and appointed and driving the executive branch of the government forward, right? Well, one of the most interesting things about the show The West Wing is that you get to see a little bit behind the curtain. It's obviously fictional, I realize, but it's based in reality. And they pull back the curtain and you get this sense of just the beehive of activity that the West Wing of the White House is. It's not just the secretaries of all the different departments. It's not just the president and his chief of staff. There's all these people actively working and serving so that the higher-ups can lead and promote the work of the government. It's a really remarkable thing to see. All these anonymous individuals giving their gifts in service of their country so the executive branch can function. In some ways, what we see in that is an apt description of what the office of deacon is supposed to be like. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you turn with me now to 1 Timothy 3, we're going to consider the qualifications for deacons. The reason we're doing this this morning on our fall kickoff Sunday is that in about five or six weeks, we're actually going to install deacons at Providence. It's an important thing we're going to do, and so we want to teach on it this morning and kick that off for this ministry year. So, in the letter to his protege, Timothy, Paul writes in chapter 3, starting in verse 8, Hear God's holy and authoritative word. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. The women, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things 
to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Word of the Lord, may He write truth upon our hearts. We're looking this morning at the office of deacon. We've had teaching before on this. We've had lots of teaching on the office of elder, but we're returning to it because we're going to install deacons in a few weeks. And so that sort of begs the first question, right? What exactly is a deacon? What's this office? The logical place to start is to kind of get this straightened out. Some churches get into trouble because they misdefine what a deacon is. If we get the definition wrong of what a deacon is, inevitably we're going to get the role wrong. So then you're deploying people to do things that they're really not meant to be doing or gifted to be doing or empowered by Christ to be doing. So what's a deacon? Well, we learn a lot about what a deacon is just by looking at the name we're given, the title itself. At the most basic level, a deacon is a servant. That's exactly what the name, the word, implies. Diakonos literally means servant or minister. The word appears almost 30 times in the New Testament. Sometimes it appears as deacon, sometimes as servant, sometimes as minister. The words related to it, sometimes called to service or ministry, but you get the idea. Sometimes it's a formal title. It's actually referring to a deacon. Sometimes it's just describing what a person is doing. They're serving. But even when it's not used as a title, it's still connected to that root meaning. So when Paul talks about the office of deacon, he's mindful that he's using a word that's grounded with significance. These deacons are fundamentally servants. People appointed to the office are there to be the church's champion example of selfless service. These are individuals called to utilize their gifts in a way that fundamentally assists the body. So their goal isn't to do all they can to serve and draw attention to themselves. It's to do all they can to serve and promote the health of the body. Like those worker bees in the West Wing. We don't know who they are, but they're serving to work and promote the executive branch, serving the country. That's what deacons do. They utilize their gifts to service. They offer practical, active, intentional help in all kinds of areas. This word actually gets used a lot in in the Roman world when they talk about table service. So they talk about this idea of service, of diaconal roles, when they talk about people serving tables. It's a helpful image to get an idea of what a deacon is. It's analogous to someone who serves tables. Now you think about that. Literally what that is, people who are table servants, wait staff, these are people that excel at anticipating needs, right? They excel at anticipating needs and then meeting those needs. The goal of a table servant, the goal of a good waiter or waitress, isn't to draw attention to themselves. Have you ever been on one of those date nights? You've got the waiter who thinks the whole goal of you coming out to eat is to hear their their little canned jokes that they tell over and over again to every table. And it's like, my goodness, we just want to give you our order and have you leave so we can enjoy conversation. And it seems like every second you look up, the server's at your table and trying to chat you up. And it's just, man, I want my food. I want my water full. You've had that experience before. Well, the best table servers are masters at selflessly facilitating the meal. You hardly know they're there. The glass goes full. Food arrives on time. Plates get taken away. The bill arrives. And you enjoy the evening. That's what a table server does. In a lot of ways, it's what a deacon is meant to do. Another pastor, I think, helpfully refers to them. He said, deacons can be described well as shock absorbers. It's a helpful image, right? More of a gearhead. Shock absorbers is what a deacon is. 
you look at the proto-deacons of Acts 6. So you think back to Acts 6. They're not called deacons yet, but there's a crisis arising in the early days of the church. You remember? You've got this, this group of people, and they're, they're a diverse group, and you've got widows, some widows, who aren't being fed, and who are actually going hungry, and they need help. And there's, there's not an equal distribution of the goods that they have and the food that they have. And so the apostles, with the elders, appointed men to serve the responsibility of making sure that the widows were cared for. These men are chosen to fill an administrative gap in the early church's situation. It's a really important role. I mean, there's women, widows, vulnerable people in that society who are going hungry. And so they deploy these men to be a shock absorber, to help get through a bumpy patch. That's what a shock absorber does. It cushions against bumps in the road. When your shock absorbers are working, the driver and the passengers have a smooth, nice ride. When the shock absorbers aren't working, the driver is clutching the wheel, trying to avoid every little bump. Otherwise, the baby in the back seat's getting the head jarred every time, right? Well, that's what they do. But deacons are more than just random people serving. A deacon is someone who's been appointed to a specific biblical office. So if all we think of as deacons is servers, we're missing the point. A deacon is appointed to an office. The New Testament has two offices, the office of elder and the office of deacon. This is Paul's point, what he's getting into in verses 10 and 13 of our context. And let them, deacons, also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You notice, deacons are tested before they're installed. So there's an implication there that you're going to install them publicly into an office, but also that you don't just install anybody. You make sure there's a level of competence. Make sure they can do the task well. But also making sure, because these aren't just random people serving, it's not just a general term, or just you toss it out to anybody that serves. Oh, that person serves, they're a deacon. No, these are, these are our deacons. We hold them up in front of the body as an example. This is an example of, of service and, and also of godliness. Implicit in verse 13 in that phrase, those who serve well as deacons, implies that the deacons don't start serving when they start their office, right? The implication is they've been serving well already, and they're being installed as deacons because we want to commend them in more explicit, more publicly affirmed ministry. But it also implies that they're now going to serve in an official capacity. Before they might have served generally. Now they've proven themselves worthy of that office. That helps us to get a basic sketch of what a deacon is. Knowing what a deacon is, we can ask our next question. What are deacon roles? What are the roles that a deacon is meant to fulfill? Well, to state the obvious, deacon roles are related to service, right? It's connected to the name. But that's about as vague as can be. They serve. Serve where? Serve how? Is the average greeter essential as greeters are to extending welcome to guests? Is the average greeter a deacon-type role? What does Paul have in mind? Well, again, it helps me remember where Paul is placing these instructions. It's right after he's just given instructions regarding the elders, right? If you have your Bibles open, 1 Timothy 3, it starts out qualifications for overseers. That's an interchangeable term for pastor, for elder. So he starts out with qualifications, instructions about overseers, and then he runs right into qualifications for deacons. It's similar to what we see in Philippians 1.1. Paul addresses this church to the church in Philippi. He says, it's actually being written, Paul and Timothy together. So that's kind of interesting, right? Here Paul is writing to Timothy to instruct them on what elders and deacons do. The letter to Philippi is Paul and Timothy together writing a letter to that church. And he says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Servants. Ministers. 
diaconon. He's using the term of Christ Jesus to all the saints who are at Philippi with the overseers, i.e. the elders, and the deacons. Notice how he pairs them together? Paul and Timothy, servants to the church in Philippi, along with the office bearers in this church, the elders and the deacons. This common way that Paul refers to elders and deacons together in multiple letters tips us off to a key way that deacons serve. Deacons aid the elders in ensuring that the practical needs of the church are met. And they serve the elders so that the pastor elders are freed up to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. We see that first all the way back in Acts 6, right? Really important ministry to widows. But the apostles and elders recognize we have another really important task. And just so that we don't have a bleeding out of our roles into things that we're not called to, we're going to appoint men to meet this important task so we can meet this essential task. Well, if deacons are meant to complement the elders' role, let's do a quick flyby of what an elder does. It should come up on the screen. Elders keep watch over souls. Elders manage the church of God. They teach the word. They protect from wolves. They rebuke false doctrine. They preach the gospel. They rule the body. They pray for healing. They contend for the faith. They equip the saints. They set an example. And in all these things, elders are held accountable before God. Hebrews 3, 7 to 13, 17. That's the list of things we see in the New Testament, what an elder is called to do. You're going to kind of draw two headings over it. Elders are involved in teaching, and they're involved in governing. They're the doctrinal guardians of the flock. They're the overseers of the life of the church. They're responsible to God for feeding and care and ministry to the people. Ministry in the midst of them. A deacon's role is to serve alongside the elders. Wherever needs arise, in a way that ensures the elders can concentrate on teaching and overseeing. That's what a deacon is meant to do. Here's the great thing about this. Paul's vision, the New Testament's vision, is not that you have two offices engaged in constant turf wars. This is where the whole West Wing analogy breaks down. This isn't like the executive branch versus the legislative branch. And elders are threatening to veto what the deacons want to do, and the deacons are threatening to impeach. That's not what's going on. Paul's not envisioning these two rival offices that are, that are fighting each other every chance they get for, for who has the greatest degree of control in the church. So why do we sometimes hear that tension between elders and deacons? not uncommon, sadly, to hear of, of deacons and, and their elders, a pastor and elders in tension. Well, the easiest answer is to recognize, do we hear of tensions? Because elders and deacons still have indwelling sin in our hearts. We haven't come to the day when Christ returns and rules presently with him. Right now we have under-shepherds. Then we will have the chief shepherd. But oftentimes, tension arises because there's confusion about the roles. Sometimes in, in Baptist or independent churches, there's only one elder. Now, this is not all Baptist churches. I praise God there's a growing, there's a growing movement within Baptist churches for reclaiming the priority of, of a plurality of elders ruling the church. But in some Baptist churches, maybe if you grew up in a Baptist church, you might have experienced this, the idea where there's one pastor, there's only one elder, and then there's a board of deacons. So the pastor teaches, and the deacons rule. Well, there's tension. Difficulty arises. In part, this arises because people who meet the qualifications of a deacon are being asked to fill the roles that aren't meant for deacons. The reason why elders are called to exercise oversight, this is important, is because the church is fundamentally not a corporation. The church is not a corporation. It's not a business model. It's not driven by what's pragmatic. Right? 
It's not driven by what's the most efficient, expedient way to get things done. There's nothing in the qualifications of elder or deacon, for that matter, that says you must have an undergraduate degree, preferably in a field related to leadership and administration or business. Not what the church is meant to be. And so when churches divide up teaching from leading, place teaching in the realm of elders and, and leading and oversight in the realm of deacons, they're failing to realize the centrality of the ministry of the word to healthy leadership. Failing to recognize the way elders, as ministers of the word and sacrament, provide healthy leadership and direction they, they protect the spiritual health of the church. Remember that whole list of things the elders do? You see the way the two are related to each other? The New Testament envisions a deacon as someone within the church who's been appointed and set apart to assist and serve the elders. To assist and serve the elders in shepherding and caring and equipping for the body. Wherever the needs might come up. Acts 6.3 again. Think back to those proto-deacons. Stephen and his buddies. The apostles acknowledge the church has a responsibility to care for its widows, to care for the widows in its midst. So they install a group that would have responsibility to meet that need. So, so these proto-deacons, these guys that get appointed, kind of seems like the office of deacon begins to reflect what they first started. These proto-deacons aren't just serving the body, are they? They're also serving the apostles and elders. So they can be freed up to other obligations. To get back to it, there's just no sense in Acts or the entire New Testament of deacons as a separate rival power block within the church. That's not something Paul is, is hoping for. It's not something he's instructing Timothy. There's actually no balance of power in the New Testament church. You know where power resides? It resides in the chief shepherd. Power resides in his word. With the accountability that the body brings to ensure that its elders are qualified in teaching faithfully the word. But that's where power resides. Jesus doesn't share power. Jesus rules the church. Jesus presides over the church. And he presides over it through the preaching of his word ensuring that churches have elders who are faithful to the ministry of that word and who lead in light of that word. And deacons come up to ensure that all the other legitimate things that come up in the life of the church that need to be addressed can get addressed without draining the time of elders and deflecting them from the priority of their ministry of the word. Because that ministry of the word recognizes that Christ is the chief shepherd. And he presides over his people as the spirit Brings the word to bear upon their hearts. Deacons aren't elders' adversaries. They're actually the greatest encouragers and supporters of the ministry. That's what deacons are. They exist to assist the leadership of the church, taking away distractions and pressures so elders can give themselves to the ministry of the word and the general visionary oversight of the body. It's really interesting, when you look at the New Testament, there are places, we saw the whole list of them, right, that give you instruction on this is the role of an elder. An elder, Paul says, has to be apt to teach, has to be able to teach. Specific task, verse 2 of chapter 3. We don't ever get explicit instructions about the role of a deacon. Paul never drops down into that level of detail. Why not? Wouldn't it be nice if Paul gave us, like, just bullet points? Like, you don't have paragraph form, Paul. Just just give us bullet points or footnotes just to say, it'd be good if your deacons did all this stuff. Well, it's not there because there's wisdom in it not being there. It recognizes that every church needs to be taught from the same scriptures. Every church needs to receive the same body of truth. Right? So elders all have the same call able to teach, protect the flock, promote and protect the gospel. And yet individual churches have very different practical needs, don't they? 
no two individual churches have the same practical needs. Diverse contexts call for a diverse role of service. The needs of the Jerusalem church aren't the same as the church in Colossae, nor are they the same as these churches in Rome and Corinth, these, these cosmopolitan centers. Just like the needs of a church in the middle of Johnson County are different from the needs of a church in Juarez or a church in North Africa. Just like a church that's been around for 70 years has different needs than a church that's been around for seven weeks. So there's wise flexibility. Do deacons serve widows? Do they organize the food shelf? Do they run the church bookstore? Do they lead worship teams? Do they do counseling? None of those questions are specifically addressed, but that's to our advantage. It's good that it's not specifically addressed. Scripture seems to set out simple and very flexible structures. Wherever needs arise, deploy tested and qualified deacons to meet those needs. So deacon-level positions flex and change, even from the life of an individual church. The church that's seven weeks old is going to have different needs when it's seven years old. And so its deacons will likely look different, serving in different capacities, right? Maybe the seven-week-old church has a deacon in charge of setup and teardown because they're renting space. You could keep that deacon just so... They have the role and title of deacon, but there's not a lot of setup and teardown happening at Providence. Now, one day we might need to have a deacon that takes point on building facility maintenance. See the difference in roles for, for the time period that the church is in? I think a helpful way to think of it as well, you can think of deacons as triage specialists. You know what, what triage is? Triage Recognizing that when needs appear, when people come in with wounds and, and difficulties, they come into the ER or it's on the battlefield, you get these triage specialists that they come and they encounter the person and they recognize and they assess quickly, how severe is this? Who does this need to get? Does this need to go right to the surgeon? Is this something that can be treated by a nurse? How are we going to treat this? That's what a triage specialist does. Deacons are on the scene assessing those kinds of needs and serving those kinds of needs. Sorting out issues, deciding who needs immediate help and care, who needs advanced help. We kind of think of our care group leaders, right? Our care group leaders are going to function in, in a deacon-like way. And by a deacon-like way, I mean they're going to function as deacons. They're going to be deacons. All of our care group leaders will either be elders or deacons. Just recognizing this is a specific way where we extend pastoral care. So if you think of a, a deacon who's a care group leader, it's a little bit like triage, right? We're in the care group setting and someone comes forward for counsel. They do a little triage. The group assesses how can we give counsel, how can we help? Sometimes you realize, this is a huge issue. I need to bump up into pastors. Sometimes you recognize this isn't a huge issue. They don't need to, to get an email about this. Triage. I think it's helpful for me to think of three specific roles that a deacon fills. Deacons fill roles of functional ministry. Deacons fill roles of functional ministry. It means that deacons are appointed to specific needs. There doesn't seem to be any idea of a deacon who just serves randomly, sort of a roving deacon. The deacons serve specific needs. They're raised up, they're tested and appointed to serve a specific task. So they have roles of functional ministry. They also have roles requiring recognition. Acts 6. Part of what the apostles and elders are doing is they're empowering these men to serve the people. They do it publicly. Hey, these are the guys we want to serve you in this capacity. So sometimes when the deacons are trying to do their work, Difficult things called. It helps that you've got people that have been recognized by the church as these are the people who are supposed to be doing this. We've had people operating in the roles of deacons for years now. Sort of given a nod to them, serving in the roles of deacons. But we need to publicly recognize them, install them as deacons, so that we can empower them for those roles. 
It's not enough just to say our caregiver leaders function like deacons. No. That guy, he's a caregiver leader and he's a deacon. It recognizes the biblical office. They serve in roles of significant responsibility. We're keeping track. Roles of functional ministry, roles requiring recognition, and then finally roles of significant responsibility. A church should be full of servants, right? Everyone should be serving. That's part of what Jesus is, is deconstructing in the minds of the disciples. Can we sit at your right and your left when you come into power and glory? Who are going to serve the tables for that first? Take a chill pill. Go fill some water. Bring some food. Clean up after them. Then we'll talk. Even the leaders have to know how to serve. Paul, when he writes to Philippi, right? He's going to address the elders and the deacons, the teachers, overseers, and the servers, the official servers. But how does he start? Paul and Timothy, servants. Paul and Timothy, apostles, servants. So a church is full of servants. Providence is full of servants. What distinguishes deacons, though, is they serve in critical areas and they carry real responsibility. So you can kind of think of it as deacons are capital S servants. We've got a broken system of how we operate as a local church if the only people who serve are elders and deacons. Those seven people, those ten people, they do all the work of ministry in the church. The rest of them are just blissfully along, along for the ride. This church is great, man. You can come. We don't expect you to do anything. It's like, that's not healthy. That's not good. Your heart isn't getting tied into the ministry of the church. That's how you think about it. And at the same time, it, there's still a place to recognize deacons have significant responsibilities. They're capital S servants. They're principal servants who organize and facilitate and even deploy other servants. Does that make sense? Those are the roles of a deacon. Now, those are the roles. A lot of what Paul spent his time on in this section was talking about the qualifications, right? It's actually probably the subtitle in your book of the Bible if you get in front of you. It probably says qualifications for deacons. Most of them say that. Well, listen to the list again in 1 Timothy 3 8. Think of this question. What are the deacon's qualifications? Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. They shouldn't be slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things, the husband of one wife, managing their children and their household well. Now, that's a list of things that all believers should be aiming for, right? It's, it's not like he gives this list and he's like, but it's totally okay if everybody else is double-tongued. As long as just your deacons aren't slanderers, if everybody else is gossiping and telling stories, you see the Norman Rockwell picture of gossip, with the Saturday evening post, where it's like the one lady whispering a secret and it just keeps going for all the different people and it gets to the end, there's a guy that's just upset with the lady. It's a picture of dysfunction. That stuff exists in the church. We've got a dysfunctional church. So the church aims for these things. But deacons are meant to be an example. Paul's point is not that deacons are some sort of class of super-Christians. You might get to have the capital S servant idea, but it doesn't mean you walk around with a Superman emblem on your chest if you're a deacon. It's not the concept. Paul shows us that a deacon does, though, exemplify Christian maturity and godly character. And he shows us, this is important, that Christian maturity and godly character are more important than gifting. More important than gifting. Maturity matters because deacons hold an office. They're an example to the body. That's why you don't make a newborn Christian a deacon. You make sure they're tested. It's not enough that somebody wants to serve in a certain role. First, you have to figure out, 
are they capable of? Sometimes people have an idea of what they're capable of doing, and it just doesn't match reality. So you've got to test them first. Test them before you install them. It's a helpful way to think about it. More than that, they're going to take responsibility for that area in a good way. We're going to deploy them. We're confident they're going to do a good job serving in that area. In the same way, you don't want domineering elders. You don't want domineering deacons. I am a servant! So you do what I say! Because I'm a servant! I'm a capital S servant! That's a big S! Why can't we continue to serve the children's ministry? Because it's a servant who runs the children's ministry! Wow, I really want to serve there. No. That's not the vision of the deacon. Not at all. And character is key. The list is essentially ensuring the deacon isn't guilty of habitually committing scandalous or divisive sins. It's not a call to perfection to make that mistake sometimes. The list of candidates for elder and deacon gets really slim when you expect they're all going to be Jesus. There's only one guy that ever did that. That's our goal. We want to be conformed to his image, but until he returns again, there's only going to be one guy that does that. do want them to be shown progress, to be examples in these areas. They shouldn't be engaged in activities that would bring shame to the church, bring disrepute upon the body of Christ. So they shouldn't be drunkards. They shouldn't be greedy. They shouldn't be shady with money. Finally, I think this is really important. Deacons are peacemen. Before their gurus and particular guys. Deacon ministry should be centered on the unity of the body. That's what's happening in Acts 6. There's discord rising up because of what's happening with the widows. The reason the apostles and elders deploy these men as proto-deacons isn't just to make sure that the widows are cared for. That's important. You know what's more important? This is the body of Christ. We should be unified. That's what the deacons are meant to do. We should all use our gifts towards that end, to, to build up the body, right? Everyone who serves, and we should all be serving, should be using our gifts to build up, to encourage, selflessly serving others and not ourselves. That's what the call is to. So as capital S servants, deacons should be an example of edifying and unifying the body. They do not double talk. They do not slander others. Those are things that destroy unity. Deacon's objective isn't to champion your pet project, to argue with others over resources, or to act like a lobbyist. Their goal is to help on behalf of the whole church, even while consecrating on specific needs. And even as they consecrate on serving those specific needs, it's always with an eye towards the health of the entire body. They're peacemakers for their gurus and gurus that are pets. Now, final question on qualifications. This is probably the biggest one. Sit up in your seats. Shake off the sleepiness. Can women be deacons? Can women be deacons? Now, we are a complementarian church. That's a big word, complementarian. Which means we hold that men and women are completely equal in worth and value before God. Men and women both image forth God. That's the point of why God creates male and female man on this earth. He wants to have image bearers that, that are his representatives, his vice regents in the world. It means men aren't better than women and vice versa. But as a complementarian church, we also recognize the Bible tells us God made men and women completely equal, but he also made men and women differently. Now, when you think about it, it makes so much sense, and yet it's so contrary to how the world thinks about it. Yeah, he made men and women different. Men don't have to be different. Women do. It's like the most obvious expression of those differences and how they're designed by God. He created man, 
male and female, beautifully and uniquely and differently, and yet with complementary roles. They're designed to complement each other in the home, in the church. We see this in this letter, in 1 Timothy, in 2, verses 12 to 13, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Why? Verse 13 tells us. Because Adam is formed first, then Eve. God's design for the roles, we see it in the fact that he, he designed and creates Adam first. Adam names Eve. He's supposed to take a lead role. And so Paul says it's not appropriate for a woman to teach or to exercise authority. What does that sound like it's describing? The office of elder, right? Teaching and exercising authority. That's why that office is reserved for men. Biblically, it's been set up that way. God's designed it that way. So what about the office of deacon? Can women be deacons? Well, complementarians, people who hold that men and women are created equally, yet with diverse roles and different roles, they disagree on this answer. It's not a neat, tidy answer. In other words, godly pastors that we respect greatly come down on different sides. Their churches practice it in different ways. Now, for the most part, they agree this issue is not as crucial as deciding whether women can be elders or not. As complementarians, they are unequivocal and united in saying that's an office reserved only for men. But when it comes to the issue of deacons, there's disagreement, peaceable disagreement. They agree they don't see things eye to eye, but they recognize there's an understandable reason for the disagreement. Verse 11 of our text is key. This is key for determining your view. The Greek is a little bit vague. Some translations, like the one I read this morning, say, the women, likewise, must be dignified, not slandered, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now that seems to imply that there were women, likewise, serving as deacons, right? So Paul had specific instruction for these ladies. What makes it difficult is the Greek word there, gunaikos, plural of the word gune, is simply unclear. It can mean women or it can mean wives. The same word can mean the same, can mean two different things. So what does Paul mean? Some translate verse 11 to say, their wives likewise. Meaning Paul's referring not to women who serve as deacons, but to the wives of deacons. See the difference? The problem is, It's just that word, and you can literally justify taking it either way. The Greek goes both ways. Both are possible. Both are defensible. There are godly, Bible-loving pastors and complementarians who come down on both sides of that translation. I think it's preferable, as elders we think it's preferable, to read verse 11 as the women likewise, which opens the office of deacon up to females. Here's a few reasons why. It's hard to understand, first of all, why Paul would make reference to a specific qualification for a deacon's wife when he doesn't do that for an elder's wife. So remember, he talks about an elder's qualifications and a deacon's qualifications. In the section for the elder, he makes no mention of specific qualifications for an elder's wife. Now, if the elders are called to lead and exhibit authority and teach... Isn't it important if you're going to instruct deacon's wives that you would also instruct an elder's wife? It seems strange that he wouldn't direct it that way unless he's not referring to deacon's wives in verse 11, but he's referring to women who serve likewise as deacons. When we properly understand, this is the second reason, when we properly understand the role of deacons, in other words, non-ruling or teaching, A woman serving in that capacity doesn't violate any New Testament scriptures on women not carrying authority or leadership. 1 Timothy 2, 12-13 isn't violated if we're walking out a biblical understanding of what a deacon does. Part of the reason why some churches are very resistant to deacons doing this is because they've got one pastor and a deacon board. Well, These can't be women because the deacons rule this church. And now women have authority. And that violates what Paul says elsewhere. Well, that's not a proper understanding of what a deacon does. So yeah, it makes sense that you have an issue with that. But when we understand that deacons serve, 
can facilitate service. I can think of lots of women who do that and who do that well, who are gifted for it. Another reason, in Romans 16.1, Paul refers specifically to Phoebe. And he refers to Phoebe as a diakonos. He refers to her as a servant. Now, is he saying she's a servant generally, or is she saying Phoebe, servant, deacon Phoebe? Again, it's open for interpretation, but it seems like he's referring to a specific office that she holds. Phoebe, a woman, is serving as a deacon. Another reason is that functionally, I think this is important, functionally, even churches who deny women can be deacons, they still deploy them in those capacities. They might not call those women deacons, but there's still a woman running the VBS. There's still a woman running the women's ministry. The children's ministry is still run by a woman. There's a woman administering the welcome team. There's women deployed in all these roles as capital S servants. They're just not being deployed in a biblical manner with an office as they should be. So they're doing functionally everything that we would expect a female deacon to do, but they're just not recognizing them as deacons. You see the issue with that? If women can't be deacons, they shouldn't be deployed in deacon-like service, correct? Now again, there are many, many biblically faithful churches that decide to have women serve as deacons, and there are many others that do not. These are biblically faithful pastors who have come down on both sides of the issue. Biblically faithful pastors who, although they disagree, recognize this isn't an issue to destroy the church over. Now, this is part of why we've been slow to establish officially deacons at Providence. This is one of those issues where you can't put toothpaste back in the tube. You can't just really quickly decide, we're going to have deacons and no women deacons. And then two years later, well, we want to redo it. Especially, we want to have women deacons, and then three years later, oh, we don't want them anymore. That gets really messy and really hard to embody. So we wanted to think carefully and intentionally, but we wanted to seek counsel. We wanted to consider the scripture as well. Do you feel confident in our assessment? We are helped by recognizing the existence of female deacons in places like I think in Romans 16.1, by, by seeing the way female deacons are recognized in the early church. It's really helpful as well noting the way other widely known and respected Reformed scholars and pastors support this notion. So men like John Piper and John MacArthur and Mark Dever and Matt Chandler and B.D. Andrew and Thomas Schreiner and others hold to a view that the office of deacon is open to women. They serve in churches that install women as deacons. Faithful brothers. Many of these men are founding members of the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. That's the champion complementarian organization. And yet they recognize the role is open to women. I don't want to overly belabor the point, but I want to make it clear why we've landed where we have. Another reason is because sovereign grace has specifically said each local church has the freedom in this issue to choose for themselves. They recognize there's a biblically defensible case to be made for both sides. So they said each local church can decide on their own whether or not they will install women as deacons or not. So no. Provided deacons aren't serving as leading functionally in the church. Those have helped us and we feel confident in our decision that women should serve as deacons. Now, what is that going to look like? We'll give you more information about that at the family meeting. So if you come here to town, come to the family meeting, talk more about deacons there. But deacons at Providence are going to be tested. So we're not going to have people who we don't know anything about. We have no idea how faithful they're going to work. They're going to be examined. So as elders, we're going to test them. We're going to examine the work that they're doing. They're going to be affirmed. So we're going to put the candidates for deacon before you as a church and say, here's the people we're thinking of installing as deacons. Give us feedback on what you think about these individuals. Do they meet the qualifications? 
Is that person a rabble rouser? Tell us. Because it's not helpful if they're a deacon. And then we're going to send out a survey where you can formally give us your feedback on the individual candidates. And then in about five or six weeks, we're going to install and appoint those people officially into the office of deacon. So it's going to be care group leaders, Doug Luffman, James Beecher, Brian Gilly, obviously serving as extensions of care, serving in all sorts of ways. Our other two care group leaders, Seth Ender, who's a pastoral intern, Dave is an elder. Carolyn Hoffman, who heads up our women's ministry. She's operating as a deacon. She's taking point in this ministry. We want to recognize and publicly affirm what she's doing. Children's ministry with Jill Hegarty. Jill does all sorts of work to administrate and, and, and serve the servers and organize the servers for children's ministry. We're recognizing what she does as a deacon-type role. And then in evangelism and outreach, Matt Brodine is going to come alongside Dave. Dave, Dave has specific tasks in the eldership of, of taking point on that. And so Matt Brodine is going to come alongside as a deacon who helps and assists and kind of dreams with Dave on what that ministry can look like. So you'll be hearing more from us about those candidates. We're going to send out brief bios in case you don't know who they are. And then after a time of, of giving you opportunity to give us feedback, we're going to send out an official poll. Isn't the right word? Blanking on right now. Dave, it's going to be a Google Doc. And you'll just be able to affirm, we support this person's fitness. Little Google Survey, thank you. And that way the church is involved in the process. And I think this is going to be really good for us. We're really excited about it. We want to have the appropriate biblical offices. If there's supposed to be an office of elders and deacons, we want to have them both. We've had people serving in these capacities already. We wanted to walk intentionally before we installed women because we want to do that carefully. We feel confident about it. But don't hesitate to bring questions. Absolutely want to answer those questions. That is our message on deacons. Let's bow our heads again. Father, this is your church. You have seated your son at your right hand. He is the chief shepherd. He presides over this body and over all the universal church. Everyone gathered here are his sheep. So, Lord, we want to see him flourish in our day. So, I pray that you would guide us, give us wisdom. Help us to biblically and faithfully walk out the office of deacon in our practice. Lord, that your body would be served, that your people would be edified, that the saints would be equipped for ministry. And ultimately, that in our unity together, through the deacon's service, the name of Christ would be glorified. 